I love the part of that song where it says, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And that is the hope of the Christian. Not merely that Christ was raised. That's amazing. But the impact of Christ's resurrection is that we who follow Christ are being continually resurrected to new life by the power of God. That's sort of our focus this morning. Turning your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. If you're new here and maybe you started coming during the holy season of Lent and, and Easter, uh, we took a little hiatus, of course, to cover Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Maundy Thursday and all those dates. But now we're heading back in to finish up uh, the book of Jonah. The theme of Jonah is God's relentless pursuit of hearts. First of all, God's relentless pursuit of the lost and their rebellious hearts and lost hearts. But also, God's relentless pursuit of his runaway children. Because Jonah, of course, uh, is one of the characters in the book of Jonah. And Jonah is told by God at the beginning of the book to go to Nineveh. And Jonah refuses, and he runs the opposite direction. So simultaneously in the book of Jonah, you have a story where God is pursuing relentlessly in love and power the lost city of Nineveh. But at the same time, there's a subplot where God is also pursuing a runaway child. And the hope that we have is that no matter what we're facing, the highs, the lows, no matter where we are, running away or just sitting still but not moving, God is relentlessly pursuing us. God, in His power and love, longs for us to be near Him and to experience His grace. As we begin, I want us to think about power. What's the most powerful thing you've ever seen? What's the most powerful thing you've ever witnessed? Well, power in many people's eyes is put in terms of tons of TNT. Now, it's interesting. Dynamite isn't TNT, though they're similar. But the word for power in the New Testament is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. And it's amazing how often scientists and researchers put power in terms of TNT. A couple examples. The atomic bomb in Nagasaki in World War II. It was a 21 kiloton blast. Kilo means a thousand, so it was, it was akin to 21,000 tons of TNT. And it was a devastating, destructive display of power. But you move up to an earthquake, and you're at a whole different level of power. 
Last July, there was a 7.8 on the Richter scale earthquake on the Alaskan Peninsula. It was equivalent of a 600 megaton blast of TNT. A megaton is a million tons. 600 million tons of TNT. That was the power of the earthquake. But we're not even close to the greatest display of power in our world yet. It's something known as a supernova. A star, perhaps 50 times the size of our sun, implodes on itself. And as a result, it releases so much power that we can barely measure it. And I certainly can't memorize it. A supernova releases or produces 4.1 times 10 to the 1,015th power tons of TNT. I mean, at that point, it's like, <laughs> what's that? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's 10 octillion times more powerful than the bomb that went off at Nagasaki. What's that mean? That is 10 with 28 zeros times more powerful. Now we're talking power. And yet, all of those examples, all those reference points pale by comparison to the power of our omnipotent God and the focus of His power in His pursuit of us through the theme this morning. If the theme of Jonah is God's relentless pursuit of our hearts, the theme of Jonah chapter 3 is God's relentless pursuit of our hearts through His Word. His Word is the most powerful element in the universe. Eclipsing all of the supernovas you could ever put together in all of the history of the world. And that power is available to us. I can hold it in my hand. I am holding the greatest power in the universe in my hands. It's available to me. It's available to you. It was available to the Ninevites. It was available to Jonah. And it changed the landscape of their lives. And it will change the landscape of our lives as well. Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living, active, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the heart, the soul, and adjudicate the thoughts and motives of our hearts. 
It was Martin Luther who said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It pursues me relentlessly. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Of all the landscapes in the universe that are hardest to change, it's the landscape of the human heart that requires the most power. But the human heart is no match for the Word of God. With that introduction, now you know a little bit more of why we ask to stand when God's Word is read. Let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read Jonah chapter 3. This is God's omnipotent Word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word, the greatest power in the universe. He gave it to us because He loves us, and He wants us to be transformed by it. He wants us to use it to change the world, one life at a time. Let's pray. Father, would You open your word to our hearts and minds. Would you transform us? Would you bless us and make us a blessing to all the nations of the earth? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want you to notice how many times the word of God is mentioned in this chapter. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 2, call out against Nineveh the message, the word that I tell you. 
Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. Verse 4, he called out to Nineveh. What did he call out? The message, the word of the Lord. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. God pursues us through the power of his word and produces three great graces in our lives. Let's look at them one by one. First of all, trust God's word to produce repentance. God calls us to repent of sin, but the power of his word actually produces the repentance he calls for. Look at verse 2. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that I will tell you. The message was just five words in the Hebrew, eight words in the English. You find it in verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. God is threatening the power of his judgment against Nineveh unless they repent. And all through Scripture, we are told that the Bible has the power to produce repentance. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that Scripture's inspired, I say that every week, and profitable for reproof, rebuke, correction, The Word of God has the power, the dunamis, the the dynamite to produce repentance in hard hearts, to blast them so they break and become soft. The Word of God has the power to thaw icy hearts and lead them to repentance. Look at the response of the people of Nineveh. Verse 5, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Now, we, we learn there in the text that Jonah had barely stepped foot into Nineveh. It said, it said he, had, he had just begun. He had barely begun to preach and proclaim the message and immediately repentance broke out. You know, this happens in revivals. This has happened in our nation where preachers stood up in their churches and they used God's word to call people to repentance. And instantaneously, there was mass repentance. Police had nothing to do for months because there was so much repentance. You can can read about this. This isn't made up. And of course, more importantly, you can read it right here. It happened in Nineveh. As a matter of fact, verse 6, the word reached the king. Now, it doesn't mean that it finally made it to the king. That word reached means it impacted him. It affected him. It led him. It produced in him repentance. And he sat in ashes. Imagine this proud, arrogant, 
godless, idolatrous king. In five words, break his heart. And he humbles himself before God. That is the power of God's word. Not only were Ninevites so humbled over their own sin, they felt like they couldn't express it enough themselves. So they had to involve the livestock, the cattle, the, 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 the sheep, the oxen. They covered all of them with sackcloth. They made them fast as a sign of mourning and lamenting sin. This was a repentance that only the power of God's Word could produce. Have you experienced your own power of regret and remorse over sin in your life? Or have you experienced a repentance that is a result of the supernatural, infinite power of God's Word? You know, the world is always looking for ways to change behavior. The Wall Street Journal recently ran an article that had all these gadgets that you can buy. And since I'm a skeptic and a cynic for most things like this, I looked them all up. And you can buy all of these on Amazon. They really exist. For example, there's a $60 smart utensil called the Happa Fork. And it measures how quickly you move food to your mouth. And if you move food in your mouth too fast, which means you're not chewing your food and you're eating too much, it like buzzes or something. It's like... Dee -dee. Some of us may need that. I don't know. And, and, and then another company has a $50 device, and don't any of y'all get this for me. You, you attach it to the diagnostic wire of your computer to your car. And if you start too fast or stop too quickly or speed or engage in any other kind of unsafe driving habit, it chirps at you. I don't need that. I know I'm wrong. I'm just not repentant. I need the power of the Word. You can buy a $50 toothbrush that taps into your phone and buzzes you and tells you whether or not you're brushing often enough or long enough. Just what we need, someone to nag us about our teeth. There's a $99 webcam that you can buy that has posture track. And every time you're slouching or slumping or not standing erect in the right way with the right posture, it buzzes you. There's something called, an app called a B-Minder. And it actually finds you for undesirable behaviors like refusing to floss or staying up too late. These things really exist. This is what the world goes to to try to change their behaviors. This book is free. Free for the taking, free for the reading, free for the listening, the hearing, the sharing in small groups. 
And it's got infinite power to actually produce repentance. None of those mechanisms can produce repentance. They might nag you. They might pressure you. They might cajole you. But they're not going to produce repentance in you. Only exposure to the Word of God. Read, spoken, heard can produce repentance. But it does. This Word has the power to actually produce repentance in you, in your marriage, in your home, in your children, in your neighbors. Anytime we want to share our faith, the power is not in our presentation. It's the power of God to produce repentance. Trust God's word to produce repentance. Secondly, trust God's word to produce repentance. Faith. Look at verse 4. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now what's interesting about that Hebrew word is it has two different meanings depending on the context. The first meaning we used in the first point, it means to completely overthrow or destroy. The second meaning is just the opposite. It means to completely deliver and to transform. And all depends on the context. So, for example, in 1 Samuel 10, verses 6 to 10, God talks about overthrowing Saul. Now, this is before Saul was even king. This is when everybody thought Saul was going to work out. And God tells Samuel, I will overthrow him. I will give him a new heart and put a new life in him. So, overthrow can also be a very positive, hopeful thing. And simultaneously, the Ninevites heard both. They repented at the threat of judgment, but they had hope at the promise of grace. And look what happens in verse 5. They believed God. Five words in Hebrew. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that was enough to produce a faith in the mercy of God. Remember, Jonah had just begun preaching. Five words is all he spoke. And repentance and faith was produced in the people. God is the one who produces faith. 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Paul talks about the grace that is poured out along with faith, which are in Christ Jesus. Faith is a gift. It is produced by the Word of God. In Romans 4, 17, Paul writes that God calls into existence things which are not. Romans 4, 17 is pointing us back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, nothing existed, and God spoke His Word. And when he spoke his word, what was nothing became everything. And Paul's saying he still does that. He speaks where there is no faith. How? Through his word. And his word produces faith. That's what Romans 10, 17 actually teaches. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And look at the faith in verse 9 that the Word produces. Who knows? God may turn and relent. 
and turn from his fierce anger. God's word produced faith that would hope in the mercy and kindness and grace of God. Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists and preachers that God ever produced through our nation. He grew up in Massachusetts on a farm. He had a fifth grade education. He got tired of life on the farm and moved to Boston to be with his uncle. His uncle sold shoes, and so D.L. Moody, before he was converted, was a shoe salesman. The one condition of him living with his uncle was that he start going to church. So Moody went to church with his uncle when he met this Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Kimball visited Moody at the shoe store and led Moody to Christ. But Moody initially was really struggling with faith. He wanted desperately to believe better, to believe more. And later on in life, he wrote about this time and season in his life. Listen to these words. He said, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. Is that your thought sometimes? It's been mine. I can remember times in the past, you know, God give me faith and just sort of waiting to be zapped, infused with, with this magic faith. He says, but faith didn't seem to come that way to me. Then he writes, one day I read in Romans 10, 17, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he closes with these words. I had closed my Bible while I prayed for faith, but now I opened my Bible and began to study. And faith has been growing ever since. You struggling with unbelief somewhere today? You wrestling with doubts? You facing a situation that just seems overwhelming? Clearly, don't stop praying. But open the Bible. Come to church. Listen to the word taught. Get involved in discipleship groups, small groups, life groups. The power of God's word produces faith. Trust God's word to produce repentance. Trust God's word to produce faith. Thirdly, trust God's word to produce obedience. And oh, by the way, you see what we've done today? For those of you who are regulars at Oak Mountain, trust God's word to enable you to waltz. What's the waltz for those of you who are new? It's a three-step dance with Christ that we at Oak Mountain use to remind us how we grow in grace. All change and transformation begins with repentance, just like with the Ninevites, just like with Jonah. But repentance, the word then leads us to faith, fresh faith, faith in Christ, faith that he died for our sins. He lived an obedient life we could never live. Faith that we're 
justified, right with God, adopted, sons and daughters of God. And then faith that as Jesus rose from the dead, as we sang this morning, Jesus continually raises the dead in us supernaturally. And then that repentance and faith leads to the Holy Spirit through the Word of God producing obedience in us. Look what happens. Look at verse 2. Or verse 3, I'm sorry. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now remember, this is the second time that God spoke his word to Jonah. And the first time, Jonah rebelled. But now, when Jonah hears the word, the word produces obedience in him. And he gets up and he goes, according to verse 3. In Romans 16, 25 and 26, Paul writes that God strengthens us according to his word to bring about obedience. I can't emphasize this enough. People, the Christian life is supernatural, and too many people try to de-supernaturalize it. You know, in all honesty, I went through a season where I just read and read and read and read and read about Christianity and about the Bible. But you know when my life began to change? When I began to simply read the Bible and let it produce in me repentance and let it produce in me faith and let it produce in me a longing to obey. 2 Timothy 3.16, I said earlier, all scriptures inspired, profitable, powerful, dunamis, dynamite, not just for reproof and correction, but also for training in righteousness. When you read this book, the word of God, God himself pursues us through his word and it trains us for righteousness. Titus 2.11 and 12, grace trains us to say yes to righteousness and no to ungodliness. And that's what the king, that's what happened in the king's heart. Look at verse 8. The king tells everybody, all of his subjects, to turn from their evil ways and from the violence in their hands. Now, what does that mean to do the opposite? If, if, if turning is repentance, then what does it mean to engage in something the opposite of evil ways and violence? Well, evil ways means immorality. So the king acknowledges that God is calling him in the kingdom to purity of life, to high ethical character, high morals. Now, most of us in this church, as Christians, Bible believers, we know that that's what we're called to. But we learn in this passage that God pursues our hearts through the Scriptures and actually produces obedience through the power of His Word. I mean, it says it over and over and over. I just gave you three passages. But not just turn for your evil way. Yes, we need to talk about purity and ethics and morality. But it also says, and from the violence that is in His hand. You know what violence refers to? Ignoring social justice. Violence is ignoring the poor. Violence is forgetting about the alien and the exile. 
Violence is ignoring the widow. Violence is ignoring the orphan. Violence is not clothing the naked. Violence is not taking care of the oppressed and the downcast. I'm not making this up. Like this isn't a Bob agenda thing. This is the Hebrew. To engage in violence is to refuse to engage in mercy and justice. And what I love about this passage is the word produces a balanced obedience in the church. Perfectly balanced. People want to talk about, you know, immorality and this and that. Yeah, of course. But don't forget, God cares just as much about mercy and justice. To not engage in mercy and justice is just as immoral as anything immoral that bothers you. And vice versa. We can be all for mercy and justice and fall into all kinds of ethical issues and problems. The point is, it's God's Word, read, heard, studied, shared, that actually, supernaturally, with infinite power, produces, actually produces in our lives repentance, faith, and obedience. In verse 10, it says, When they saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster He had planned. Now, God didn't change His mind. This was God's plan all along. But God's plan was to pursue Jonah and to pursue the Ninevites in order to produce repentance and produce faith and produce obedience. You know, one of the most amazing things about God's Word is what it says about itself. Do you realize it is impossible to make an idol out of this book? In other words, we're actually called to worship this book. You think, Okay, Bob, you've crossed the line. No. Look up Psalm 138, verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2, God says, I have exalted above all things my name and my word. God exalts this book to the same level as his very name. Why? Because God pursues us relentlessly through this book. The greatest power in the universe you can hold in your hands. The question is, are you? Let's pray. God, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we pray that the Word taught, read, heard would produce repentance and faith and lead to obedience. 
God, for those of us who are wrestling with sin, help us get into the Word and show us that you have the power through it to produce repentance. God, for those of us who are struggling with doubt or unbelief, lack of faith, God, get us in your Word and show us that you pursue us through your Word by producing faith. And God, for those of us who simply need to step out and obey, get us in your word. Help our friends to apply the word to our lives and produce obedience. God, it's amazing how this passage teaches the waltz. Use the waltz to lead us to repent, believe, fight, obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's so stand and hear the benediction. Again, another reason why we stand, I hope, I hope new thoughts come into your mind. One of the reasons we stand is out of reverence for God's Word. And as I pronounce the benediction, it's pronouncing Scripture over you, which means the power of a gazillion, I don't think that's a word, supernovas are being released upon you. God is pursuing you through this pronouncement. Receive it. And now... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace, both now and always. Amen. Amen.